As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League. Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern, greatest game of football in Paris since the one sliced alone kept goal in. And once again, the German side letting things get away from them here. Man City, Chelsea and Real Madrid also threw from a mostly thrilling midweek. We look back on that and ahead to the FA Cup semi-finals this weekend and to the Premier League. With West Brom currently the highest scoring team in Europe, we ask, what's going on? Dare you look inside Big Sam's baggies when he's got a big job on? All of that, plus more inter-totally drama in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Yowzers, it's Thursday the 15th of April, uh, listener. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. You're uh, going to be in the company of Duncan Alexander. Hi, Duncan. Hello, James. Also with us, a slightly disappointed Sasha Gurionov. Hello, Sasha. Hello, James. And Pat Nevin. Hello, James. It's lovely to be chatting to you again. Well, that, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, have you got a book out or something? Um, <laughs> that's not the only reason why I've come on. Well, right, okay, it's part of it. <laughs> but, yeah, um, like everyone else, I've been quite busy during the lockdown. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it should be fun, hopefully. You know, you're reading it. I am reading it. Yeah, it's out on the 20th of May, but because, you know, we all live in a big celeb house, Pat's already given me <laughs> a copy. I'm 100 pages in. I've already hit a great story about 16-year-old David Moyes, who was already scary. Uh, I also really appreciated the fact that you name each chapter in the book after a kind of a appropriately titled indie rock classic, Pat. So there's a quite a good quiz to be had if you go through the chapter list trying to identify them all. Absolutely. You should try and do that. But you know, the answers are at the end, as they always should be. Nice. The nightmare is, as you were reading it, you probably got that tune in your head, <laughs> bursting your head when you try to read it. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'll let you decide. But I think it's definitely a good thing. Anyway. Perhaps we'll touch on one or two more of the topics covered in Pat's book, The Accidental Footballer, out on the 20th of May. As we romp through uh, this week's uh, footballing stories, uh, Champions League, of course, dominating things. The semi-finals are now sorted. Wednesday night, Real Madrid emerging unscathed from a goalless second leg at Anfield. They'll be facing Chelsea in two weeks' time. Chelsea, who lost 1-0 to Porto, thanks to Mediterranean's spectacular late piece of acrobacy. 
but who goes through 2-1 anyway on aggregate. Meanwhile, the other semi-final sees Man City take on Paris Saint-Germain, a city who came from behind against Dortmund for about the first time this season, winning 4-2 on aggregate. Paris Saint-Germain, meantime, protagonist of an epic battle Tuesday with Bayern Munich. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Coman, il est passé, Thomas Müller avec David yeah, that was the moment when Bayern took that 1-0 lead. On Tuesday, French commentators keeping a lid on things nicely. <laughs> We're getting Julien Laurent's reaction later on because he's he's in the quiz uh, today in the Intertotally up against uh, Lindsay Hooper. But, phew, Pat, you were watching... Uh, the Chelsea Porto game, uh, so you won't know about any of this, but it was literally game of the season, right? Do you know what? I did watch a lot of the highlights um, afterwards, and to be fair, you're watching two teams that they can play a bit. You know, <laughs> they're so yeah. exciting and they're so ultra positive as well. Um, the amount of chances in that game, I thought, were staggering. So, yeah, and I had to watch the Chelsea game. Well, indeed, we'll hear about the Chelsea game in, in a bit. But Sasha, you watched this, Duncan. As Daniel Story wrote, you, you, you followed that game as if your own team was playing in it. Yeah, I mean, it was. If you think back to a year ago, we wondered if football would be back and in what format, and then it did with no fans, and it was like, well, this will never be as good as as normal, and it, and it isn't quite as good. But I think the two legs of this tie have shown that no matter what the outside circumstances, the if you get two teams as good as this playing as well as this, then you're going to get two incredible matches. And yeah, it was it was kind of like slightly the reverse of the first leg in that PSG had more more chances in this game. Um, but once again, obviously Bayern missed having Lewandowski, I think. But, um, you know, it was a kind of triumph for Neymar more than anything. He was just, particularly in the first half, was just extraordinary. And, mm. you know, I tweeted that it's weird that he's now almost like an underrated footballer because... He kind of falls into that gap. You had the Messi, falls Ronaldo. Into a lot era. Of anything he can fall into, yeah. really. But. Yeah, but he's kind of he was long championed as the successor to Messi, Ronaldo. But now, obviously, Haaland and Mbappe have, have sort of come up behind, and he's sort of stuck in the middle. But he's is still he the just... Prince Charles? Do you think of the kind of footballing yeah. kind of royal? Very family? much so. Right. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was three-two, of course, to Paris Saint-Germain from the first leg in Munich. But once Bayern scored, a uh, forty minutes in. Things were incredibly uh, delicately poised. It was kind of as delicate as the, as the bus at the end of the Italian job for almost an hour, just basically teetering there. Bayern needed that second goal, but they knew that any second Neymar and Mbappe could punish them on the break. The suspense was absolutely delicious, Sash. I thought um, one of the reasons for that was because um, Bayern ended up with Alaba in midfield instead of Goretzka. So I think sort of Neymar could drop deeper and pick up the ball there a little bit less hindered, I think, than he could have otherwise. And I thought... Before the goal especially, but the way that Mbappe just absolutely destroyed Pavard and Boateng and thereby on occasions opening up all that space for Neymar to run into. I actually think in, in this game, perhaps it was Mbappe who actually did most of this work. And of course, you know, Neymar, you know, hit the post and stuff and had chances saved. But I thought the way that, you know, Hernandez was, who I thought got a lot of praise after the game uh, from everyone, but he was just being dragged out of position all the time. So I think in the second half, there was always this threat as soon as 
um, PSG would break that, uh, you know, the, the Bayern defense were teetering on the edge of collapse. But I think this was a game where actually Neuer played very, very well. Yeah. And Neuer gave away a goal in the first game, but I think this was back, you know, the proper Neuer. So I think he actually did save them a number of goals. Yeah, also, I really enjoyed him in the first half, strolling into the Paris Saint-Germain half of the field in a Champions League quarterfinal. Just <laughs> extraordinary, extraordinary scenes. There were 61 shots over both legs from the two teams. Who was who has caught your eye from this, Duncan? Uh, Danilo Pereira, obviously a midfielder normally, but was basically turned into, well, I'm going to say Neil Ruddock, because we mentioned him earlier, but he was just a kind of really stout force in, in central defence, particularly in the in the first half. Um, and I don't know, it's just PSG, I know and Julian Arons hates me mentioning this, but they are only a day older than Alan Shearer, but they, they are a very modern construct, and I... They sort of play, they're the first football team, super team, that play like a computer game. Like Mbappe and Neymar, when you watch them play an actual game and you watch them play in FIFA, they are essentially the same player with the, with the pace and then with Neymar's kind of you know, trickery on the ball. And it is, it's, it's a really kind of compelling thing to watch, but you wonder, you know, up against City in the semi-finals, whether that will be a, a different prospect. If we talk about Pep potentially overthinking things, he has to be looking at this going, whoa, what do I do? Plus, I think also, uh, you know, an honorary mention to Di Maria, who I thought operated really well behind those two, kind of the pass before the pass effectively. So I think like looking at this game, I think PSG would have given Pep a lot more food for thought than Bayern would have done. Of course, Bayern without Lewandowski, but I thought the sort of the dynamic movement and also I think the way that um, they actually really played like a team. And I think this is probably down to Poch because I think Poch is that type of guy, you know, he brings everyone together, which I think is such a contrast to Tuchel, I think, in terms of man management. So I think this PSG almost feels more like a team than they did last year because of those intangible relationships between players. Mm. Well, uh, ominous stat Claxon, in eight of the last nine Champions League seasons, competition has been either won by Bayern or the team that knocked out Bayern. So, hmm. A City, of course, come into this semi-final, having made it past Dortmund. Much like the first leg, it wasn't simple. Dortmund taking the lead on Wednesday through Jude Bellingham, who had only scored his first Bundesliga goal three or four days before this, then notched up his first Champions League goal. Imagine having that composure... Pat, I know you at 17 were doing similar things, but it was in the Scottish, I think, second division. But, but yeah, thoughts on Jude Bellingham? I think you can see quite simply he is good enough to be a very, very top-class player. And that calmness that he had in that moment, yeah, that's a big thing as well. But it's the, other, it's the intelligence of his movement in the game. I mean, a lot of young players that come through, and particularly mid to upper part of the field, you see a lot of them are really quick. <laughs> and you think, wow, that's great. Now, Show me what else you've got. Um, and he's just showing it. He's showing plenty of it. I mean, he's, he is going to be fantastic. And that calmness that he had under a little bit of pressure. And if the way he moved the ball really calmly, you know, and then he kind of slid it with the side of his foot just to score that. I mean, so that was phenomenal. Um, mm. And it really did make for a, a fantastic game. And there was obviously a temptation to, you know, have a look at the other game that's going on. But at that point, you think, no this is doing it for me, <laughs> absolutely going to do it for me. Because they were playing well at that point. I mean, the pace, I thought that uh, Dortmund were playing it was fantastic. And I would make one point. I I suspect that Pep Guardiola has finally learned to tell his team to have a rest. And they had a rest against Leeds United. And yes, he rested a lot of players. That's why they could keep up that intensity that they had that managed to win them game in the end. 
and that's what it takes to win the Champions League sometimes. You need to learn all these things. Now, Pep's done it before, obviously. But it was going, you're going for four trophies. The, the time to take, give a you know, foot off the gas was against Leeds, and he did, and it's helped. Mm-hmm. I think actually this is a really important point because um, City rotated seven players for Leeds and then they brought in seven players for this game. PSG did it with six. And I think three of the four teams, apart from Real, who have gone into the next round, were able to do this. So therefore, you know, you look at the City-Dortmund game, Pep only makes one sub in the 88th minute. And I think this was being brought up early in the season when they were talking subs, many subs, how many subs should we make? Why does this guy only make one or two subs? Well, now they're in a position where, well, they make sub for an entire game. So then they can actually go through through this whole game against Dortmund with just one team. Therefore, there is no disruption that, you know, you can have sometimes with substitutes. Um, I'd like to make a formal apology to Birmingham City, who I've semi-mocked before for retiring Jude Bellingham's number. And I now I now think they should have done it earlier, to be honest. I'm not sure why they took so long. But, yeah, fair play. His goal, and it wasn't just his goal, because I think he also had more tackles than any, any other uh, player on the pitch, which is pretty remarkable stuff, as well as fronting up uh, to um, Gundogan. Uh, his goal had uh, Dortmund poised to go through before Emre Chan's slightly, I don't know where you stand on it, but it was given as a penalty. Mares converted, another Man City first, and then there was that outstanding goal from former team Phil Foden. What a cracker that was. Sandy Rush saying, is it now time for people to start saying Mbappe, Haaland and Foden? Does he belong in that conversation? I would say he will get there. Um, He's very, very close to getting there. I think by the end of the season, he probably will be there. Um, but you need to put it together for a period of time before you're you know, lifted up to the very, very highest heights. But I'm struggling to find a weakness in his game now. Um, I'm going to say now. What was intriguing about him is how many players go out on loan and try somewhere else and learn the game. And he didn't. He's the one that absolutely stayed put, um, you know, in the English game particularly, and learned off of all the players he was training with. And you can just see it. Very, very clearly. The reason why he does that is because he's, pl- he's played with David Silva. He's played with De Bruyne. He's worked alongside them and he's learned just about every bit of each of their games. He has been quite astonishing in this one. And for Manchester City, he, he's almost the first pick, isn't he, at the moment, uh, if you're going to pick your best team. Who did he learn from to strike the ball so well? Because it strikes me that like he hits the ball so true. And mm. so hard, you know, that goal against Alisson, you know, the, the goal last night, I know maybe the keeper could have done better, but I think keeper was almost caught out because of the pace with which the ball was travelling. But does that strike you as unusual that he has a really good strike on him? It, do you know what? It's a great question. Um, I would say, annoyingly, that's natural. You know, there's not that many things that are natural. How often you hear in the game, oh, he's a naturally talented player, which is almost always wrong. Because you don't get natural by training the amount of time that these guys train, right? That's, you know, you have some innate abilities, but in actual fact, it's actually work rate on top of that. However, with striking, two things it's really hard to change. Being quick to being lightning quick. It's, it's just a natural talent. You either have it or you haven't. And the other one is an ability to strike a ball in a very, very clean way. You can adapt it and make it slightly better. But it's like these golfers, if you hit it to 50 yards, and these guys are hitting at 3.75. You ain't getting to 3.75, mate. <laughs> you just managed to do what you're doing. And he is a naturally clean striker of the ball. I mean, normally in that situation, you'd blame the keeper for being bitten at his near post. But it was hit so hard and, and as Sasha said, so true. And the, 
the celebration afterwards, I think that picture of him and Pep with their heads together mm. is going to be quite iconic, particularly if City do go on to win the trophy. Because, you know, Guardiola got a lot of unfair criticism for, you know, not playing Foden. When he actually, if you look at the numbers, he actually played more than a lot of players his age. And he really, you know, last season he, he emerged towards, it, particularly in lockdown, he was, the, I think, top scoring or second top scoring player in the Premier League and then this season he really has come on another level and you know it's not a case of will he play for England at the Euros it's like you know what will he do for England at the Euros I think interesting well okay so whether or not he belongs in Sandy Rush's question about Mbappé Holland and and Phil Foden does Holland by the way belong in that conversation seven games now without scoring if this was an audition for Man City across the two legs how did he do Four touches in the opposition box across the two games, which is not great, but um, I think he's still got a bit to learn. But it, it feels like the, the, some of the Dortmund players aren't particularly enamoured with maybe some of his uh, transfer politicking, maybe. So, yeah, be interested to see what happens. I was wondering whether Holland's maybe role was slightly different in this particular encounter because I'm thinking to the to the first game he actually kind of creates the uh, Roy score with his movement and also he absolutely flattens Diash um, in that first time. I think he was a bit quieter yesterday, but I think across the two games, I mean, they, they are playing probably the best team in Europe, so mm. you know he can only do so much. Um, he was also again, involved the, in the Bellingham goal. Uh, yeah, exactly. Could, so I mean, he's he 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 was almost the foil in this in this particular encounter as well, was which could possibly have been a surprise maybe for Pep who would have expected him to be you know the tip of the striking trident so city sails through now julian laurent reveals that he didn't watch the last 20 minutes of the Bayern game on tuesday because <laughs> it was too tense he went and did the laundry instead sasha i know you can <laughs> sympathize it's with contagious that. Yeah. what what what's it going to be like for him when paris saint-germain take on man city briefly what who do you think is going through pat i'd go for manchester city just think the brilliance that they've got up front um, they, they're going to have to make a lot of that PSG uh, and they could win it it'll be tight it's fantastic they're, they're the two best teams it kind of should be the final <laughs> but it ain't um, but I would just just nudge towards say mm. well two call against PSG possibly should be the final but but that that's just for narrative Duncan who's going through um, it really is very hard to call actually um, mm. let's Let's say Man City. All right. Because they don't want Well, we can see what happens. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say PSG. Uh, I'm going to say PSG because I think, uh, you know, Mbappe, Neymar, Di Maria, um, maybe plus Draxler, I think Rodri might not necessarily be able to cover the centre of his defence. And let, let's see how well he does uh, with Neymar buzzing around. So I think I'll give you that. Plus, I think Stone struggled a little bit with um, uh, some of the Holland movement. So I think let's see what Mbappe does to them as well. So I'd slightly urge 55-45 PSG. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? John Stones against uh, Kylian Mbappe. Hmm. Uh, very shortly, Pat, why don't you tell us about uh, Chelsea Porto? And Sasha, you can have uh, a word or two on Anfield, the events there between uh, Liverpool and Real Madrid. That's next. So it's the business end of the season and we need some results quickly. Welcome to the Liverpool Q2 offside. Let's brainstorm. Hendo. Well, I spoke to HR and they got spare training and development budget. How about a new training ground? We tried that, it's too windy. Robbo. Uh, how about we reward good performances? Oh, for, no idea is a bad idea. Let's uh, let's take it offline, yeah? Trent. Well, Gareth won't pitch me. Oh, no. I need results, not excuses. Yes, Liverpool need results, but have they left it too late? Check out the Paddy Power site for the latest top four markets. Paddy Power. 18 plus, be gamble aware.org. T's and C's apply. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Chelsea Porter then, Pat, only the second game in the Champions League this season that didn't see a single shot on target in the first half. In fact, there were only three in the whole game. The only goal was right at the end, but it was worth waiting for, no, Mediterranean? It was a phenomenal goal. People talked about the the famous Rooney goal and the the Derby game, the fantastic Ronaldo goal against Juventus, wasn't it? Mm. And the Bale goal, you know, those sort of things. But it's kind of that standard, even though, yes, it was a shinner. It doesn't matter. It was a cracker. Um, I think you're suggesting uh, the game was quite poor. Um, and I think that's unfair. It was nowhere near as good as that. It was, <laughs> it was, it was so dull. But there was a bit of me that was looking at kind of nodding away, apart from nodding to sleep, but a nodding away. And I was doing commentary on it, um, thinking, you know, he's just killed it. Tuchel's done something completely different. He's just killed the game. He's leaving a couple of quickies up front um, and he's just making that team incredibly hard to get through. Um, Canty done a great job, obviously, in that, that area, killing those spaces, and that's what he does very, very best. Uh, he's, when he's at his best, and he was at his best. But it was awful. And you kept on thinking, you know, make make a change, conscious out, come in, make a change. They started with the 4 3 3. They're usually at their best when they play 4 4 2, which I know is quite open. But they're playing the 2 0 down. They've got to have a go. They hardly had a go throughout the game. And it was they were actually very, very disappointing. Porto may well have been a little bit tired, all that sort of stuff. They knew that if they lost another goal, they were stuffed. But it was it was odd to see because Chelsea are absolutely a work in progress. Whereas you compare that with PSG, they compare that with Bayern, you compare that with Man City, you know, they're not necessarily works in progress to the same level. So uh, Chelsea get into the final. Yeah, they deserved it in this game, but boy did they get the right draw. Well, we'll see how Chelsea measure up against Man City, of course, this coming weekend in the FA Cup semi-finals. That red-haired dude writes in saying, after Mediterranean's wonder goal, what are the panel's favourite goals that in the end meant nothing in terms of the result? He offers Benteke against Man United, Sasha. I'm sure you remember uh, that one. There is a better one. Uh, Sebastian Coates' scissor kick at Loftus Road which I think put Liverpool 1-0 up and they lost that game 3-2. It comes off Coates, comes to Stewart, Downing! Well, whether it was going in or not. Oh, that's brilliant! What a goal by Sebastian Coates! That is absolutely fantastic! He's a massive guy. I think it was a corner. And to just see this whole frame just go up in the air, we were up a tier looking down on it. It's uh, literally like jaw-dropping. Uh, yeah, one of the most jaw-dropping goals I've ever seen live, to be honest. Your favourite meaningless goal, Duncan? Well, I just want to make the point that that was the latest goal Chelsea have let in in the Champions League since they did to Mehmet Scholl in 2005. And I very much think of Mehmet Scholl as the German Pat Nevin because he had a set of mixtapes available in the 2000s <laughs> with bands like the Beta Band and stuff on it. So it's quite a neat little neat little tie-in. But that is neat. 
Do you, you don't have a, a, a favourite meaningless goal. May I offer then Daniele De Rossi's extraordinary and I think intentional kind of side-on volley uh, at Old Trafford. Totti. Stretto ad allargarsi da Fletcher. E poi un gran gol di De Rossi. Gol bellissimo all'Old Trafford. Of course, Roma were losing 6-0 at the time, but still a wonderful memory. Pat, have you got one? I'll take you back to something that you will not remember, but you may well have read about recently, James. I scored a goal for Chelsea, and it wasn't a great goal, you know, but it was right at the end of a, a game where we were going out in the semi-final of the cup. Um, but there was a horse in the box. <laughs> the horse. I like Duncan's reaction there. He just went, what? <laughs> Did I hear that correctly? <laughs> and there was writing going on, so I get put through, and I've lobbed the keeper, and as the ball's going over, there's a horse in the 18-yard line. <laughs> With a policeman on top of it, to be fair, and the horse was definitely offside. There was no doubt about it. Was um was Paul Furlong playing by any chance? Oh, very good. I, I see where you're <laughs> going with that. <laughs> a ridiculous goal in a bizarre evening, and it kind of has always stuck with me. Of you, you think, I don't know what to do here. How do you celebrate? Run over and slap the horses behind? <laughs> I, don't know. I just don't know what to do. Pat, that's a, that's a real window into a very different era of Chelsea football. Cars behind the. The goals at Stamford Bridge, I was aware of it. Horses in the box, not so much. All right, well, anyway, Chelsea have Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-finals. Sasha, you just seen them at work at Anfield Wednesday night. Zidane with a nil-nil draw, but another triumph, effectively. And what's been an amazing week for him, the 3-1 uh, in the first leg against Liverpool, then the victory in the Clasico. Uh, Real actually haven't, despite losing all sorts of players in the intervening period, lost a game now in any competition since the 30th of January. How impressed were you? Casemiro was an absolute rock. Uh, I think they, they came in, um, they were two goals up, so I think it was up to Liverpool to do something. And yeah, I mean, people look back at the Salah chance in the first minute, which I actually thought was a bit more difficult than it looked because I think he seemed to have get belters for shooting at the keeper, but he was on the run, one touch. I don't think it was actually that easy. Uh, Vinaldum chance at the end of the half. I was a bit we- it was a bit weird hearing the um, the BT Sport analysis at halftime, like saying Liverpool should be 4-0 up because I don't think it was that game. And it, as soon as we saw the lineup at the start, like I think a lot of people thought, well, 60 minutes is going to be Thiago and Jota, which is what happened. But as Milner alluded to after the game, perhaps sometimes the subs take a bit of time to get into the game. Plus, I think, again, Real were very smart. Around that time, they started killing the game entirely. And eventually, Liverpool just couldn't find a way through. It, 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 it felt like a lot of those familiar games at Anfield where one team defends and Liverpool doesn't quite have enough now. So speed of um, thought or speed of movement to get to get through it and also get more and more exposed on the break. And eventually, yeah, I, th- I think Real you know, fully deserved it. And in a way, typical of Liverpool seasons, um, as Klopp mentioned after the game, in terms of um, missed chances. Um, and, you know, if, if Salah scores, it's possibly a different game. Possibly not, because, uh, you know, Real are so experienced. One thing that we saw that was so different from the away leg is the way that Liverpool midfielders and even Trent Alexander-Arnold went after, say, Cross. I mean, there was a moment in the second half where Trent basically forces him out for a throw and Cross is like, what's going on? So much more proactive, but the game was lost in the first half of the away leg where, unfortunately, Klopp got the tactics wrong uh, or maybe if he got them right, the players got it wrong. So, yeah, I think um, Liverpool are now concentrating on the league to try to get in the Champions League, which actually, to be fair, they're in a pretty good position there now. Right, well, you've printed out the running and we'll hear about that later on. Of course, they've got Leeds coming up 
in the return leg of a or the re- reverse of a of an absolutely blistering game from the opening weekend of this season. I've been to probably Anfield more than any other ground this season uh, to go to games. And where you sit when you're doing the the comms up there, it's really high up in the new stand. So you have this kind of almost tactical view, perfect tactical view. And, and to be honest, the tactics from the manager haven't been great. It's They've been so obvious at the start of games. At the game, uh, the Fulham game, um, I think, well, I know what your problem is now because a few days before, Chelsea had done them in the kind of behind the right-back area and no one was covering right. It was so obvious. And then they did it the same. And I'm saying five minutes in the comms. You're not going to let that happen again, are you? And they just done it all night long. And it's really weird to see some of the tactical missteps that have been taken by Jurgen at the moment because he's got a brilliant team. But defensively, it's really strange. That that was the area that Jordan Henderson used to cover for them, no? It's the correct answer, right? So if Jordan Henderson, what he did is, because your both set fullbacks are going to fly. Okay, that's fine. If you've got a brilliant centre-half like Van Dyke. That's fine as well, because he'll go and cover, and he'll read it, and he sees danger. And Henderson does it too. But both of them are missing, so nobody's doing it. So you better adapt. <laughs> don't, mm. don't just leave the big gap there. And I have to say, I mean, I'm, I am no tactical genius, but after five minutes of the game, you're thinking, you're not going to keep on doing that, are you? They do, and they lose goals, and they lose chances in that sort of area. And it's just a shame, though, because you're the, still a brilliant team, but talking about the Salamis, it's that simple little thing. He's had lots of those chances this season. He's just not been putting them away to the same level. By the way, he's got he scored really well, by the way. But, you know, he's not putting some of the big ones away that they've needed, particularly at home. Yeah, I think he's he has missed some, some big opportunities. But I think last night, I don't know what Sash thinks, but it, last night felt like almost the end of that front three as a, as a front three. I'm, I'm surprised that Jota was put on the bench. It felt like Klopp was like, right, let's just have one last go with the with the old team, you know, with with Milner essentially as a kind of Henderson replacement in midfield, Thiago on the bench. And I think that the team selection for both legs, obviously catered the cater decision in the first leg didn't didn't work out and it just felt like in both games the, the gambles didn't really pay off. I mean I thought yesterday, I mean especially looking at the first leg, I thought Firmino had to play, obviously Salah had to play, so it would have been the question of Amani or, or Jota. And you know, I went to Arsenal Liverpool and I don't think Klopp was particularly happy with Mane in that game. So I think he feels like he's waning. Perhaps Firmino's waning. I don't know. In terms of starting with Jota, again, we have seen him be quite effective off the bench, uh, but not in sort of not in this game. And I mean, the structural issues, you know, as Pat described, I think this is the difficulty when I think you have a particular way of playing throughout your whole managerial career. And, you know, you've been building here for five years towards a particular mode of playing. And then suddenly it has to be ripped up to an extent that, um, you know, I don't think Klopp ever ex- you know, expected to. And I think it is probably difficult. And also, you know, when there, 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 there were times over the last three, four months where the system kind of seemed to work, almost works, sometimes works throughout the game. So maybe he feels it's close to working to the extent that, oh, yeah, well, just a bit more and we'll be all right. And it's just not quite. Having said that, against the weaker opposition, say like Arsenal, I think they, they absolutely ran right. It, it was absolutely fine. So again, while we're looking at this game against Real Madrid, what they face in the league, for example, for the next seven games is not going to be quite Real Madrid. So apart from United away, um, I think they should be able to get the right the results in the last few games. How many points, Sash, between them and a place in next year's Champions League? Uh, three at the moment. Uh, so there is uh, three 
three points behind West Ham, four points behind Leicester. Again, Leicester will probably get onto them ahead of the FA Cup semi-final, but they have the whole party stuff. And also Leicester's last three games, United, Chelsea, Spurs. Uh, so I think Liverpool will be looking at that. And at the same time, Liverpool are playing West Brom, Burnley, Palace. So as long as they're in touch by then, I think they'll be, they'll be quite happy with that. All right. Well, they're out of this year's competition, even though, as the Spanish media noted with alarm, Real Madrid stayed in Liverpool before this game at the Titanic Hotel. A worrying decision, <laughs> given that the match was played on the anniversary of that famous liner hitting an iceberg. Plus, worth, worth mentioning, another thing, hitting a bottle hit the bus uh, of oh, Real yeah. Madrid, which mm. is like, phew, come on. Yes. Real Madrid goes through to the semi-final with Chelsea. Curiously, they've never met in the Champions League before. But uh, all sorts of uh, reunions potentially here. Thibaut Courtois against his old club. Maybe Eden Hazard too, although statistically it's unlikely that the 15 minutes he'll play in 2021 coincide with the semi-final matchups. Duncan, you point out that Chelsea have now reached more European Cup or Champions League semi-finals than Arsenal, Spurs, Villa and Forest put together. It's true. They've also, in the Champions League era, they've got to more semis than any other Premier League team, which I think, you know, seems realistic and also slightly surprising at the same time. I mean, they have been consistent, you know, obviously this the last 10 years less so. But, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of revenge potential, isn't there, in, in the semi-finals? You've got Pep looking for revenge against Pochettino, Pochettino looking re- for revenge against the concept of, you know, winning the Champions League. Tuchel, potentially, at some point, revenge over PSG I mean that it does feel some despite me saying City would go through it does feel slightly like a Tuchel versus PSG final is semi-destined Can I maybe make one slight point about the four teams in the final Um, I think a lot of people out there are thinking where did the money come from and you just have a look at the ownership of all the clubs and where the money's come from from all the clubs and uh, although, yeah, Chelsea's my team, there's a lot of people that won't like the teams that are in these uh, semi-finals of the Champions League as if that's how you do it. You spend unbelievable billions of mo- uh, amounts of money and uh, you get somebody incredibly wealthy and that's how you do it. Mm. All right. Well, in the semi-finals of the FA Cup, slightly less uh, oligarch-tastic. And we'll be looking at that next. Keep listening for Lindsay Hooper versus Julien Laurent in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's pre-recorded. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash Quartzside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. FA Cup semi-finals this Saturday. It's Chelsea Man City. And then on Sunday, Leicester against Saints. Pat, you scored the winner in an FA Cup semi-final 32 years ago today. 15th of April, 1989. Of course, that's also the anniversary of the other semi-final, which took place at Hillsborough and led to uh, the, the Hillsborough tragedy, the effects of which continue, not least because the fight for justice is ongoing. A couple of years back, David Duckenfield was eventually found not guilty of manslaughter, but there's a case that's due to start, I think, actually maybe later this month. 
of two police officers and a solicitor who are accused of perverting the course of justice with their actions in the immediate aftermath of the tragedy. Yeah, it's, it comes around sort of this date every year and you sort of um, kind of look back as to what happened over the previous year, how, you know, how far has the fight for justice progressed. And I think 2016, five years ago, when, you know, it was found that, you know, fans were unlawfully killed, I think the logical extension of it would have been, well, who by? Um, and that's that's up in the air. Um, you know, Duckenfield was cleared. Um, so the the case that's going to be, I think, starting next week, it's about the aftermath. So there is still something left up in the air. I'm not sure what is going to go after this, but I think even, you know, I moved to Liverpool in 94, uh, five years after Hillsborough. I, I, I don't think you could imagine at the time that it's actually going to get to this stage because it was, you know, it was a wall of silence. It was... It was all dismissed. I think to see how far it's traveled over the last 30 years, I think it's it's also incredible for the people. But I think this is one thing that the system sometimes tends to overlook. I think if you have um, parents whose kids have died, it's not going to give up. I think the families is the most important part of it. Um, you know, when it happened, going through the, that day, I mean, I'm, as you mentioned, I scored the winner in the other game um, from the happiest moment in my career to the worst moment in my career in a, in a matter of seconds at the end of the game when we've discovered at the end of the game that, and I say it honestly, our friends had suffered so much and we found out through the days. And over the weeks that uh, followed that, um, going to so many of the funerals and everyone that I went to, it seemed to be some young uh, young guy, um, or sometimes a young girl. It, it was it was the most horrific thing, but the dignity of those families and those people at the time was extraordinary. And in the midst of that, I can remember thinking, they won't give up, <laughs> of you know, to find out what happened. They I, they couldn't, and it took a long time to get going. But at no point did I ever think the people of that city would give up. And they didn't give up. And it's, you know, and they will never give up. There's so many things in the justice that are kicked into the long grass. You can kick that into the long grass as long as you like. They will never give up until they find out everything. It can be found out. So it was an extraordinary time. Um, it was a wild time. I didn't actually want to play in the final. I didn't think the final should be played between Everton and Liverpool eventually. I thought it should have left a gap in the cup. Um, but the, fa the, the, the families wanted it. Because football has to go on. And they knew that their ones loved the game. And that's why we carry on and we talk about the football. And we, we will talk about this semi-final coming up, you know, and it will be important. And that's, you know, the way it is. But we will never forget. What was it like um, on the day of the FA Cup final? I don't know. It was extraordinary. Um, you know, we obviously the, the entire planet wanted Liverpool to win and not Everton because of what had happened. But it's the oddest thing. It couldn't have been anyone else. It had to be Liverpool and Everton. You know, it had to be that city. Um, remembering and celebrating themselves and who they were and what was important to them. Um, and it was a classic. It was 3-2 after extra time. Um, and, you know, Liverpool had some phenomenal players. Um, they, as I often say, they cheated that day um, to win the game because bringing on Ian Rush as a substitute is cheating as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and he goes and wins the game. Um, but it was the oddest one. It was a beautiful day. It was incredibly poignant. Um, everything that happened before the game, abide with me, etc. It was extraordinary. Uh, you'll never walk alone was extraordinary. All that stuff. 
But we still gave everything we had. We still, we wouldn't show any disrespect to anyone and not do it, um, but the better team won. Well, let's move on to this year's semi-finals then. And it is, as mentioned, Chelsea Man City on the Saturday and then Leicester Saints on Sunday. Have there been any recent big games, Duncan, between those two clubs? <laughs> yeah, let's hope we've... I don't think we've ever seen a 9-0 in an FA Cup semi-final. Um, I mean, obviously, if City go through in the other one, um, possibly best for Southampton, they don't get to the to the final and you know risk that scoreline. Um, it was bad enough when Watford lost 6 now. Two years ago, um, it's an interesting one for Leicester. I think Leicester are the only team to be champions of England and not have won the FA Cup. They've obviously got to four cup finals and lost them all, which is the worst, the worst record. So this is really a something that's hanging over them. So I think, um, and as their league form seems to fade a little bit, and the fixture computer always gives them a ridiculously hard closing few weeks, I think the FA Cup is a <clears throat> is a, re- a reasonable and good a good target for Leicester. They haven't been in the final since 1969. Worryingly for them, although Saints have not been in the greatest form in the Premier League, they have in the Cup. In fact, shocking stat time, Saints have won more FA Cup games than they have Premier League games in 2021. Wow. But did you see them on Monday against West Brom? Wow. <laughs> Bit of an idea about them. The thing is, they are shipping a lot of goals, aren't they? Um, even in the odd games, you know, the, the, the game against Burnley, the 3-2 game, you know, they come back from that, but they are shipping a lot of goals. And if you're playing against a Leicester team, which probably will be closer to full strength in this one, uh, with the likes of Vardy, etc., that that's a real concern for them. And uh, I think everybody knows it's Southampton have to have the best day that they've had this season, probably, if they're going to win this one. Madison, Perez and Chowdhury back in the squad after that breach of COVID-19 protocol. The other semi-final the day before is Chelsea-Man City. It is Tuchel against Guardiola. Guardiola apparently wanted Tuchel to be his successor at Bayern Munich when he left, but they got Carlo Ancelotti instead. Pat, you're going along to this one. Yeah, um, and oddly looking forward to it slightly more than I would have been uh, about three or four or five weeks ago, um, purely because the more that I watch of Tuchel, uh, with this Chelsea group, uh, it just keeps on surprising me. They've got a really set system that looks really sturdy, apart from a 45-minute mad period against West Brom, which was utterly bizarre, um, but, uh, mostly down to the 10 men, but it just fell apart. Um, but apart from that, that's just so incredibly hard to score against. I mean, they called the other night in the Champions League. I mean, you can't defend it, as they say in the game. That's just you can't defend. But apart from that, they don't give away... A, many goals would be many chances. But it is Manchester City. And Manchester City, player for player, are probably better. And also, they're further down the road of construction of a unit, of a team. But you look at it, and for all the facts that Havertz looks sometimes like a little lost boy, there have been little flashes. And there have been little flashes of Pulisic. Early early on in the programme, you were talking about um, the shot from Foden. What about the shot from Pulisic against Crystal Palace? That should be unlawful to hit the ball that hard. You could have hurt the goalkeeper in that one. So you're beginning to see interesting little exciting things coming. It, it still looks to me a year too early. But Chelsea are in two semi-finals and could get top four. It could be one of the best seasons ever in the club's history, if not the best still. And nobody's mentioning it. Didn't help Maurizio Sarri much, though, did it? So. 
Oh, no, don't, don't help manager. I mean, obviously, <laughs> take that for granted. <laughs> this will be better than the Porter game, you think, then, Pat? I mean, I, w- I would, I would expect so. I, do, I right. think it won't. There was the thing is, the, the Porter one was a, a strange psychology. You're two 0 up. You've got two away goals. What's the point in going and chasing it? You'll just look naive if you lose an early goal and you blow it. So you do the unnaive thing, and that's what he did, and it it, it worked an absolute treat against Porto. So no, I don't think Chelsea aren't going to be parking the bus. They'll just play their own game and I think they will get a little bit further forward. Keep an eye on the fullbacks. You can tell on the fullback, the wingbacks are right and left with Chelsea. That tells you how they're going to play. And uh, in the first five or ten minutes, where they stand tells you where they're going to play and how negative or how positive they're going to be. And mm. we'll find out after five minutes. All right. 5.30 Saturday afternoon, that one coming up. Quick roundup of one or two other things. Uh, news from UEFA that Slavia Prague's Andre Kudela has been banned for 10 matches after the incident in the Europa League game with Rangers, uh, in which he was uh, found guilty of racist behaviour towards Glenn Kamara. Uh, UEFA have also banned Kamara for three matches after finding he assaulted Kudela in the tunnel after the game. Rangers are going to appeal that. George McGibbon says, Do the pod think UEFA's 10-game ban for Kudela is appropriate punishment? Likewise, is Kamara's three-game ban for his subsequent reaction to being racially abused fair? Well, we don't know. I, mean, I don't know anyway what happened in the tunnel, so harder to comment on that. As for Kudela, I guess it comes down to what do you want this to do? Does it make up for the act of racism? Well, no. Does it send a significant message to players and clubs? Possibly yes. Pat, what do you think on that? As a- um, I think a lot of people are really annoyed because they wanted a six-month ban or a year ban. And do you know what? I get you. I'm with you. I understand it. If you're asking me the question, will a 10-match ban affect other players? The answer is also absolutely yes. 10 matches is a lot. And if a player thinks, if I open my mouth and say something as vile as that, I'll get 10 matches, there's every chance that's going to stop that happening. Um, and it's, to me, it's, it's one of those classic ones. I'm always slightly uncomfortable with the fact that no, we don't hear it. You know, there's no absolute prima facie evidence. However, having watched the footage, I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever he did it and he said it exactly that. Well, also, Clarence Sadoff makes the point, if you're saying there's no evidence, you, you can't complain of there not being any evidence against you when you deliberately cover your mouth to prevent anybody seeing what you say. It's kind of a... Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I have absolutely no doubt. So, you know, 10 match ban, absolute minimum. Will it have effect in, uh, in others in the game who hear this? Uh, yes, absolutely. Will have a, had they given them a 20 match, not, I would have been applauding that just as much. There is also an important note with this because it's not just the clubs for the club game, it's also for the Euros. And Kudela is 34 years old. This is going to be potentially his only Euros and he'll miss it because of this. I mean, I don't know how the appeal process works, but I think, you know, in terms of having an effect on him, um, I think, and again, other players will be looking at this thinking, hmm, he's missed the only major tournament of his life because because of uh, racist behaviour. A brilliant note, Sash. Uh, Sash, there's a question here for you from Q, who says, after Slash's verbal assassination of Sergio Rico many moons ago, what unsung... Goalkeeping heroes and villains have caught your eye between the posts this year. I think I'll go for the obvious one, uh, Ariola at Fulham. I think he didn't start off that convincingly, but I think he's been one of the reasons they sort of kept in touch. And I think he's he's been very reliable. He certainly 
a big difference to Rico when that he was in relegation battle two years ago. Uh, so I'd, I'd go for Ariola, but I, th- I think he's he's beginning to get more recognition. But I think for people to really fully appreciate him, it mm. would be nice if Fulham stayed up because then they'll be able to look at the team and go, ah, this guy really really helped him. He was quite a big name before he arrived, possibly not so much in in this country. Uh, yes, of course, but then I think there is also a question of how he will approach this project because Rico was a reasonably big name as well, and you know he he really did not help his struggling team. Uh, what I think Ariola really has. Just and we mentioned this the other day, but just to back Sash up there, he's uh, on XG goals prevented. Ariola is the best keeper in the Premier League this season. So you know, in, in a difficult campaign, he's he stepped up. Nice. Here's a question for Pat. Simon Fowl asks, "What's Pat Nevin listening to at the moment?" Oh, loads. I found I found a, a podcast the other day and I got 10 new songs out of it for bands that I didn't know very well. So there's lots going on just now. Do you have a, a public playlist on Spotify or similar? I don't put it up. People put it up for me. You know, if I've DJed somewhere, you can actually see it put up for me. So it's like, you know, weird, but uh, no. It's usually, there was a track the other day I found by New Dad. I'm trying to remember the name. New Dad. dash good that one but whole load of stuff and I've just been told a chap from 4AD got in touch and uh, he's going to send me a whole bunch of stuff from 4AD as well so yeah there's, there's lots of stuff out there I'll go on to Spotify and I'll put something up okay alright then Well, wh- while you do that let's uh, move on then next to the Premier League this episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Totally Purple Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Premier League, everybody. Forget the Bielsa bandwagon. The new sexy tactician on a mission is Czechs no Sam Allardyce. Since we last spoke, another big win for West Brom, three 0 over Saints. They have now scored more goals in April than any other club in Europe's big five leagues. TM, Duncan Alexander. What's going on? We're joined by Joseph Mazzi from the Express and Star to tell us. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us. So um, one goal in five matches and then suddenly eight goals in two and the first back-to-back wins of the season. What is going on with West Brom? It's been a remarkable couple of months at the Hawthorns. It really has. Um Sam Birch obviously left in December. He was replaced by Sam Allardyce. Um, and it's fair to say his first 10 games in charge were a disaster. Um, there's no other way to put it. They conceded 28 goals in those first 10 games. They picked up barely any points. And it genuinely looked like Albion had gone backwards. And then a combination of reasons, really, sort of three key factors, if I'm all right to go into them, sure. um, sort of turned things around. The first one was... The January additions, they made some fantastic signings in January. Um, OK, Yakuzlu came in on loan from Salta Vigo, who really is an outstanding defensive midfielder. He's, he's been absolutely fantastic. Ainsley Maitland-Niles came in on loan from Arsenal and, and by Dianga up front as well, came in from Galatasaray. And 
those additions have been key. They absolutely have been key, but there have been other factors and they are that Allardyce, when he first came in, look, we all know the, the schedule's so hectic around Christmas time, but it was even more hectic with COVID. And on top of that, he wasn't getting the time on the training ground he needed with the players um, because of COVID regulations. And now he's had that time. He's improved their fitness dramatically. He actually um, revealed after the win against Southampton, all the players, their numbers are up by 20 to 25% um, in terms of their fitness. And Allardyce is a big, big, big stats man. Hmm. So he looks into that, that, that data all the time. And it's actually been the frustrating thing and what Sam talks about basically in every press conference, he can't stop himself from talking about it, is that performances now have been really, really good for, for eight games. Um, it started against Man, Man United at, at the Hawthorns, a game that they, they drew 1-1 in the end, but they missed some absolutely unbelievable opportunities um, to beat them. And it just continued from that point and everything changed at Chelsea. Why that happened, I, I don't know if anyone can tell you really, but they essentially created six opportunities at Chelsea. And as we all know, they scored five goals. They were they were incredibly clinical Um and then there was this real air of confidence around Allardyce heading into the Southampton game. It, it sounds odd to say it, but he, he knew they were going to win that game. Um, he really did. He was so confident in his press conference and it absolutely came to fruition. They were fantastic again. Um, could could have easily won by more. The, 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 I think in the first half an hour, they created 10 chances. Yeah, 13 um, in the opening 45, which is the most they've had in nine years. Oh, see, that's amazing. I didn't know that, but what an amazing stat. Um, they are a side transform. Putting the ball in the back of the net is, of course, everything, and suddenly they are doing it. Um, but the bottom line is, even before the Chelsea game, Allardyce said that defensively, Albion are good enough to stay in the Premier League, their midfield is good enough to stay in the Premier League, and the amount of chances they create is good enough to stay in the Premier League. The only thing that was missing was putting the ball in the net. Mm. But that last two games, they've been unbelievable. Well, the other thing that's missing now is time because only seven rounds to go and eight points still to make up. The next game is Leicester away. But you mentioned how much time on the training ground has been an ally of Allardyce's. He's going to have had a nice significant chunk of time with the players before the, uh, the, the clash at the King Power because they played Monday, but they don't play again until next Thursday. What do you think? Broadly speaking, can they do it? Allardyce has always said you need 38 points to stay up, but basically a point a game will, will keep you in the Premier League. For Albion to do that, they need to win four of their last seven and draw the other two. They're allowed one loss in those games. That That is so tough. I mean, it's, I mean I'm sure that's Champions League form, isn't it? It might be even, even better than that. So it's going to be incredibly, incredibly difficult. What you can say is they've got a nice balance of they're brimming with confidence now. Mm. But they are also kind of playing with the pressure off. Nobody actually expects them to do it. And because of that, they are being a little bit more cavalier. They are playing brilliant football, which, of course, Sam Allardyce isn't renowned for. He gets angry that he isn't renowned for it. He thinks the tag that he's a long ball merchant is really, really unfair. Um, and I think the last two games go a long way to show what good football he can play. But they have shown in the last eight games they are a match for everyone. And, and I can guarantee you in the next seven games, they will be in every single one of them. Well, the games are Leicester away, then Aston Villa away, then home to Wolves, then away to Arsenal, then home to Liverpool, home to West Ham, and they finish off away at Leeds. Crikey. 
it'd be the greatest of escapes. When Albion did the did the great escape all those years ago, this would be the greatest of escapes. It really, really would. But they are without doubt now good enough to stay in a division. They they can do it. We all know Sam Allardyce is a master at this. He is Mr. Keeps you in the Premier League. So if anyone can do it, I believe it's just Albion side and Sam Allardyce, but there's no doubt about it. It really is a, a tall order. Joseph Mazzi from The Express and Star. Their the defence has tightened up, hasn't it? Uh, quite a bit. They've only conceded five in the last eight, um, four clean sheets. They seem to be a bit more aggressive now. I mean, they certainly went for Chelsea and they certainly went for Southampton when they smelt a bit of blood. So The pressure's off, I guess. Playing with the pressure off. They're going to be at Leicester, as we mentioned, next Thursday. Now, also in action since we last spoke, Everton who had that nil-nil at Brighton, the least said about which, probably the better. But Friday, Everton go again in the fixture, which sounds a lot more promising because it's at home to Spurs. Remember what happened last time they faced each other at Goodison. Pat Nevin does because he was there and he tweeted the next morning, I've just woken up after being at Everton 5, Spurs 4 for 5 Live. I'm still smiling at the entertainment from both sides. What a privilege and what a joy to cover such a game. Pat. It was. It was absolutely brilliant to be at that game. And, and I'll struggle to see a better, a more ent- entertaining game this season. Um, the whole thing was entertaining uh, from start to finish. It was mad. I mean, the decision-making, you know, from some of the defenders was a joke as well. Um, but to be fair, I loved that game. And I, I got home that night. I, I don't know if I put it in the tweet at the time. But when I got home, I'd been sitting outside. It went to extra time. It was minus 11.5 degrees. Try sitting outside for three and a half hours and <laughs> minus 11.5 um, and then being happy about it. And I still managed to. So that tells you something about happy, how happy I was. Pat, what were you wearing? <laughs> Everything. Everything I had. Um, okay, can I, can I learn up to one little thing? <laughs> Over the... The years I've kind of tried everything because there's, there's things that heated gilets now, right. which is something you think Julie and Laurent would come up with, right? The best thing is heaters. You can actually take heaters along with you. So uh, I actually got a heater along with me, and in that heater uh, I put it beside my feet, and it's the feet, it's the big thing. Make sure your feet are hot and you're all right. Just literally take a portable heater with you. When you say it, it sounds so simple. Exactly. It's almost it's quite difficult to get heaters into football grounds, but do you know when there's no fans and COVID yeah. stuff? It's actually <laughs> they're, they're quite the wee bit more understanding these days, especially if it's minus eleven point five. I go for a simple solution. I go for tights from MS. I think they're about, they're about a tenner and they kind of keep the heat in and I use it for playing football in the winter as well. It's actually quite quite efficient. Josh, that's not the advice I want from a Russian. Go and get some tights from MNS. That is not the... Uh, Guys, the, there is a massive misconception that we walk around in the winter naked. What we are better at is just dealing with the cold. No, no, I understand. I thought you'd just have some better solution than MNS. But there we go. Coldest game I ever went to, Sash, was in Moscow in November. It was, it was the Russia-Italy uh, World Cup playoff. And, I mean, it was minus... Slushy snow. I remember watching that on telly. Um, Jeez, that was cold. <laughs> I felt for you guys. At there was the no stadium. roof on the place. It was me and Joe Jordan who dealt with it admirably because, you know, Joe Jordan. Um, Wickham's and- uh, Adams Park is one of the coldest grounds in the UK, traditionally. And I once saw a man who had a, in the first half, had a, had a runny nose. And in the second half, he uh, had a stalactite hanging down from his <laughs> nose that he didn't notice. <laughs> nice. 
Everton Spurs again then on Friday evening. Uh, Chris Morris asks, is this win or bust for Everton uh, in terms of a European place? They're seven points off the top four, but they have a game in hand. Of course, there's Europa League as well, but their record at home is shocking. There's 13 clubs with a better record at home than, than Everton have. Uh, yeah, but there's more there's more away games being won this season than home games in yes. the entirety of the Premier League. Yeah, but they're still 14th in terms of their home record. But if you don't think that's a problem, that, that that's fine. But they, I don't know. There's a variety of reasons for it. I mean, there are certain teams that seem to, you know, live off the fans, you know, obviously Liverpool being the most obvious, you know, one. If you've got them behind you, the pressure they can put on is absolutely fantastic. But no, the home form hasn't been growing forever. But I think it's probably something bigger than that. It's depth of squad. Did you have a look at the bench the other night for Everton? Honest, I mean, I, I like Everton. I was there five years. I keep an eye on them. I didn't know them all. I just really have to admit to it. I didn't know everybody on the bench. And that's, that's a kind of real... If you look at the benches, we were talking before about the changes that the top Champions League teams are making and the teams right at the top of the Premier League are making. I mean, Chelsea can put two different 11s out and it doesn't really change the standard very much. Man City kind of the same. But you look at Everton, once they go by, you know, 13 or 14 players. And that's when you get right down it, that's a problem. It's interesting with the fixtures this weekend because obviously it's the reverse fixtures from the opening day of the, of the season and you can kind of see how far teams have come and obviously Everton got a win at Spurs and that was seen as a you know a shock and and but both teams ended up having a good start. You go back to you know September October and they were both really high but now they they've both regressed a lot and I mean whoever loses this game really is kind of sinking into into despair for the for the remaining weeks of the season really. Crikey. Another 5-4 on the cards, no doubt. Kicks off that clash at Goodison. 11 straight days of Premier League action. We're taking us right up to the Champions League semi-finals indeed. Saturday, you've got Newcastle against West Ham, who the Magpies beat in their season opener. Uh, Wolves will be hosting Sheffield United. Sunday, it's Arsenal-Fulham. Cottages desperately needing a victory after four straight defeats, but they've never won away at Arsenal in 29 previous visits. Also on Sunday, Man United-Burnley, who do have a good record, at Old Trafford. And then on Monday, Sashiora leads Liverpool game. We'll come on to that in a second. Just wanted to get a, a quick word on uh, Newcastle West Ham. Mr. Podge says, can the pod think of any manager whose stock has fallen and risen all the way back up as much as David Moyes? Now, no one here knows Moyes better than Pat Nevin. What do you think, Pat? Was he always this good or has he gone away and, and come back a better manager? Uh, no, he's always been that good. And uh, I've just stood out in the wilderness saying to people, you're wrong, <laughs> he's excellent. And, you know, when as his teams, the various teams he's been at, struggled a little bit. And, you know, people don't like what he, the way he sometimes puts, puts his teams out. And I've said, no, no, what you've got in front of you and what you've got uh, given by the ownership and the standard of players that are there, he's still a top-class manager. Um, and I've never wavered on it. So... Stock in some people's eyes has gone down. I agree. It didn't in mine. Okay, maybe slightly biased as a friend. But um, in the midst of it all, no. I've always, always expected them to come back and do a good job. By the way, that might sound terribly smug. Can I say with Jesse Lingard, I had no idea it was going to do as good as he's done just now. So I, in the midst of saying, look, yeah, Moise has done great. I also thought, what on earth are you doing getting Lingard? <laughs> and he got that one right, didn't he? Mm. Certainly did. 
a couple of oddities around West Ham. Um, they've gone 3-0 ahead in their last three Premier League games. Only one team in Premier League history has done that in four in a row, which is feasible away at Newcastle. Um, and they haven't scored three or more goals in four top flight games in a row since nylon was invented a long, long time ago. Which right. is ironic. Thank God it was, eh, Sash? Well, yeah, but <laughs> ironic as well, because if you think about it, West Ham's previous best finish in a top flight season was third in 1985-86, when nylon was pretty much the dominant force in kit manufacturing. So it makes oh, you think. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Sunday, as I mentioned, Man United Burnley. Burnley actually won 2-0 there in this fixture last season, uh, just over a year ago. In fact, Sean Dyche is unbeaten in his last four visits to Old Trafford with the Clarets. United, though, on a great run of form. One defeat in their last 18 in all competitions. That's prior to their clash with Granada. Thursday in the Europa League. But then Monday, Sash, since we have you here, a quick word on Leeds-Liverpool, which was, of course, the opening game of the season for both these clubs. And what a cracker it was. Just a complete defensive mess that game was. Um, very early season game. Yeah, great fun. I I don't know. I um, I saw Leeds for the first time live this season against Fulham. I'm just really impressed with that intensity. Obviously, um, they hang in the games like I did at City. Uh, I like the way Bielsa came afterwards and said, nothing to do with me. Like, we're not learn to play like this. All right, we won. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but I think um, I, I still have concerns about um, how Liverpool uh, sort of might deal with the Leeds press, mm-hmm. uh, which I think, um, again, those two centre-backs might struggle with a little bit, uh, particularly Phillips, uh, unless they just give the ball to Phillips and let him give it away. Uh, but at the same time, I think Liverpool should have a bit more freedom in attack. They certainly uh, shouldn't be up against like banks of four and five, uh, like they were against Real, for example. So, and in games that Liverpool get the chance to play, they generally can, you know, okay. they generally can score. So I think I expect Liverpool to probably win this one. 4-3 it was back on... Uh the opening weekend, and an absolutely blistering reintroduction to Leeds in the top flight. All that's coming up on Monday. Busy old uh, weekend of football then across uh, the two competitions, FA Cup and Premier League. Next up on this Totally Football show, we've got some inter-totally action for you too. The Inter-Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy's offers are at full capacity. Get a free bet if one leg of your 4-plus fold acca lets you down on all football matches and markets. T's and C's apply. 18-plus, Well, Michael Cox, Matt Davis-Adams, Duncan, Sasha, Jack and Benji are all through to the quarterfinals today. Who is bidding to join them? First, she is one third of the Offside Rule podcast and hoping the judges won't have to go to VAR on any of these outcomes. Representing the black country, Lindsay Hooper. Lindsay She-Wolf, I, I get She-wolf, it. She-Wolf, yes. Yeah. How are you feeling? I'm nervous. Um, I feel like for the ladies, I need to perform. Right. But at the same time, I'm not the best at quizzes. Are you so. not? I'm okay, but I'm not. I'm not as good as some of these fine folk that we've got on. Lindsay, as you probably know, this year Paddy Power donates ten pounds to the charity of choice of the winner of each contest, uh, with proceeds from a bet of your choosing also going to that charity. So, what's the charity going to be, and what's what's the bet? 
That's the important one, isn't it? So uh, Race Against Blood Cancer is the charity. And for all the people that listen in, I get so many pelters, Jimbo, for mentioning wolves that I'm just going to be tongue in cheek with it and say wolves to finish in the top half of the table. That will be my bet. Brilliant stuff. Okay, time to meet your opponent. He is Paris born and Paris bred, but will he be able to succeed where his beloved PSG has so often failed and therefore not choke on the biggest stage? He is Julien Laurent. Strong start, Julien. Strong Thank start. You. All right. How are you feeling? Uh, uh, producer Ben there throwing shade on PSG's record in the big games, but this is a, a big, big week for you. They, they came through, didn't they, against Bayern? Yeah, they came through. They came through against Barcelona. So who's choking now? I don't know. We'll see, eh, Jules? We'll see. <laughs> you were you were a quarter finalist last year. Are you going to make it that far this time? We'll find out. What's your what's your charity going to be? And also, what bet will you be uh, putting any proceeds on? So my charity will be Dementia UK, which is very close to uh, my heart and Mrs. L's heart as well. And the bet, and it's a winning bet already. I'm telling you that right now is that PSG will win the Champions League this season. All right. Magnificent. Both of you going strongly against type there. Uh, Fabulous. Let's get on to the questions. And Lindsay, you're up first. Here we go. Question one. Who beat Manchester City 2-1 in June, a result that confirmed Liverpool as Premier League champions last season? Chelsea. Is correct. Question two. At which club did Ashley Cole have a brief loan spell early in his career? Ooh. I don't know this off the top of my head. I'm going to have to have a guess. I thought you were going to say European club and then I was going to be all over it. So this is before Chelsea. Loan spell. She's trying to buy time, Julian. West Ham? It wasn't West Ham. Do you know, Julian? Crystal Palace? It was Crystal Palace. All right, question three. At the 2014 World Cup, the Netherlands brought on a specialist goalkeeper for their penalty shootouts against Costa Rica and Argentina. Who was that goalkeeper? Tim Krul. Correct. Question four. Which club is missing from this list of English clubs managed by Roy Hodgson? Bristol City, Fulham, Liverpool, West Brom and Crystal Palace. And which club is missing? Hmm... <laughs> again I've got to think because you said all the ones that I was thinking of so Fulham uh, Liverpool can you say the list again Bristol City, Bristol City Fulham Liverpool West Brom and Crystal Palace oh, I can't remember I'm going to kick myself over this one I'm going to say Middlesbrough Jules do you want to kick Lindsay for her I'm not sure West Brom really Blackburn Rovers. Oh, yeah, Blackburn. Oh, yeah, no, I did know that. I, I knew that it would be Me there too. in the back of my mind, but I couldn't, couldn't pick it out. Damn. Damn, indeed. Question five, then. Which team plays at the San Mames Stadium? San Mames. Yeah, the San Mames. Um, you don't even know whether it's in Italy. Uh <sighs> Okay, so I'm going to go that it, I don't think it's Italy. Um, I think it might be in Spain somewhere, but I don't, 
know which stadium. San, San. Athletic. Athletic Bilbao or somewhere like that. Is correct, Lindsay. You are joking. You are absolutely joking. Guys, stop. <laughs> that is criminal. That is criminal for me to get that. That was a complete guess. Well, somewhere deep in the recesses, the <gasps> deepest no. recesses of your mind, you knew that. And there you are. It came through. That's shocked me so in much. In the clutch. There we go. So uh, how many did we get there? Let's see. Three out of five. Lindsay, how do you feel? That's solid, no? It's better than last time, I think, or about even with last time. I'm trying to remember. I think I got maybe got two or three last time. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. That's okay. okay. Let's see how happy you are after Julian answers his questions. Julian, are you ready? Yeah. Very good. Question one. Who scored Liverpool's goal in the final of the Club World Cup last season? Roberto Firmino. Is correct. Question two. At which club did John Terry have a brief loan spell early in his career? Uh, West Ham. Based no, on West it's Ham. Nottingham Forest is the answer. No. Question three. Which player did Luis Suarez bite at the 2014 World Cup? Cellini. It's correct. Question four. Who is currently the longest serving manager in the Premier League? So that's, that's in the same club, right? Yes, staying okay. in the same club. Who's been at the, the, one of the Premier League sides for longest? So it is... Jürgen Klopp. Can I jump in? Yes, Lindsay. Sean Dyche? Of course, Sean Dyche at Burnley. But he's gone down to the Championship, no? Burnley is still very much in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, 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 but in between... Hasn't he gone back to the champion? I thought I thought you meant stretching the Premier League in a row. Well, no, I said it was a Premier League club and who's been there longer. Sorry Get if that you. was confusing. No, 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 no problem. So question five, and this now is crucial, to force a tiebreaker. Which team, Jules, which team plays at the Volkswagen Arena? Wolfsburg? He's correct. And ladies and gentlemen, we oh, have a tiebreaker no. situation. You're both going to text me your answer. We'll see who is closest with the answer to this question. What was the official attendance at the 2018 World Cup final? Actually, you're not... Oh, <gasps> you are. You that, are. You're not coming up. What, what's happened, Jules? Well, no, if Lindsay didn't have your number, she, could, <laughs> she can't play. It's a forfeit. Oh, okay, fine. I've enough. got it. Right, you've both got it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the answers are in. <clears throat> Lindsay has gone for 66,324 people. And Julienne has gone for 79,115. The answer, the official attendance at the 2018 World Cup final was 78,011 people. Julienne, you're in the quarterfinal. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well done, done Lindsay. Great game. Great game. Wow, that... That was so tight. Lindsay, I'm sorry to lose you on on that. A fantastic p- performance, but uh, <laughs> but Jules, great knowledge of sporting capacities for major finals. I was. I mean, in fairness, I don't know if Lindsay was at the 2018 World Cup, but I was, and I've been to the Luzhniki, so... Uh, yeah. 
right. so you had a bit of an advantage. Although, yeah, yeah. I think you earned that, seeming as my athletic Bilbao was a complete stab in the dark. <laughs> oh, bless you. Wow. So, that yeah, that you was go. impressive. From yeah, somewhere, really from somewhere, you dragged that out. Brilliant stuff. Jules, you go through, and you're going to be facing in the quarterfinals the winner of our next and final first round matchup, which is Dominic Fifield against James Horncastle. Wow. Ooh, nice. Who, who, who would you rather have? Well, Horncastle, that's an easy win. Fifield is a bit sneaky. I'm, I'm not so sure about Fifield. So probably Horncastle. Okay. <laughs> Magnificent stuff. That'll be coming up in Monday mornings, a Totally Football show. Before that, Lindsay, you're on a special edition of the Offside Rule, celebrating a decade of WSL. Yeah, we've managed to get so many people from the game, players, managers. Um, we've also got journalists who've given us their memories of those 10 years. And in particular, going back to the very first inaugural season of the WSL. Um, we've also got Chris Slegg, who's a journalist on with us, talking about some of his memories. Um, I give some of mine. It is a really lovely trip down memory lane for anyone who wants to think about how the, the world of women's football has grown over a decade. Do make sure you tune in. Brilliant. I'm staggered that it's been 10 years. Uh, there you go. That's out already. That's out right now. So uh, do have a listen to that. Uh, best of luck, Jules, for the quarterfinals. Thank you. Thank you very and much. And we'll catch up Good with luck, both Jules. of you soon. Thank you, Linz. Well, that was dramatic and uh, interesting seeing the tension etched on the faces of Duncan and Sasha, both of whom have made it through their first round matchups, but who will be facing each other in the quarterfinals. Wow. Nerve-wracking. Exactly. But that's what the Totally Cup's all about. That's what yeah. it's all about. No easy quizzes at this level. Got to beat the big names to get to the big cetera and all that. Good. All right. That's pretty much it for this edition of the Totally Football Show, of course, listeners. Sasha, though, I think you have a question to finish things off. This is from Gareth Williams in North London. A question for Pat. Um, so... Pat frequently DJs uh, in places like the Shacklewell Arms, uh, where I, I think Gareth, engaged him in musical badinage before he stuck on a banger and then left the DJ booth to dance to it. I believe that he occasionally missed training in his pro days as he'd flown to France to watch Saint-Étienne, the band. Pat, is this true? And how often did you do this? And did you miss training to watch any other bands? Right. First of all, that is absolutely offensive to suggest that I would miss training at <laughs> Saint-Étienne. It was the Cocteau Twins. So, <laughs> and I went to Bourges in France. Actually, I didn't miss training. I was just slightly late back and uh, came up with a great excuse because uh, uh, we trained at Heathrow when I was with uh, Chelsea and I got, the flight was slightly delayed. I was going through Paris and uh, got in in the morning and had told no one I'd gone to France to watch this gig. And the manager said, why are you late? And I went, oh, the traffic was bad, Gaffer. And he just believed me. I didn't mention it was the traffic in Paris as opposed right. to London. <laughs> um, and yes, I have missed half a game because, yes, I did go off at halftime in a game to go and watch New Order uh, when I was playing for Chelsea against Brentford. And I think that's perfectly reasonable behaviour. Neymar-esque, I call it. Good Fantastic. technique. Well, Pat, uh, your uh, book will be out on the 20th of May and uh, no doubt we'll talk uh, then or then about... I've got the publisher with right behind me with my arm up against my back saying you have to mention you can buy an Amazon just now and pre-order it, right? Oh, that's you can pre-order it. Right. Yeah, that's, my, that's the biggest bit of publicity I've ever done in my life. Oh, right. I can't we believe should, I've just done that. We, we should have done that at the top when people were still listening, but never mind. <laughs> never mind. If you are still with us, listener, thank you very much. 
I also extend my gratitude to Duncan, Pat, Sasha and producer Charlie. Of course, Totally will return on Monday morning, rounding up the Premier League action and FA Cup semi-finals. Do join us for that. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.